Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we're joined by former president of Finland, Tarja Halinen. President Halinen is currently here at the Kennedy School as an Angelopolis Global Public Leaders Fellow. Madam President, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. So, uh... You grew up in, uh, well, you were born in the middle of World War II, and you grew up in the post-war period. Can you tell us a little bit about Finland as it was at that time and when you were growing up and what it's like today? Has it changed dramatically? Yes, it has. And uh, this is, by the way, the question what uh, our young people very often also make to me, that how it was when you were a child. And uh, was it terrible that uh, we always, you were so, so poor? And I said, oh, my dear, in the matter of fact, not only me and my family were poor, but all people in this uh, area of Helsinki, the capital, they were poor. The Helsinki was poor, Finland was poor, the whole Western Europe was poor. So it was nothing unusual in that way. But um, then, of course, the cute questions concerning that, really, you hadn't any computer, you hadn't even TV, how could you, how could you do? So I, I will give the answers, but um, the younger generation really realize what is the big digital change that has happened in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, in old days, if I would uh, come here to Harvard, Harvard University and staying here these few months, so I hardly could get any contact with my family with uh, anything else than, than writing letters. Mm-hmm. Now I have the assistance by the computer. I can, I can discuss with my family or my, my, my older colleagues and so on very easily. Of course, it's, it's far away still, but mm-hmm. uh, you can have a contact. And this contacting people is, is nowadays very, very different. But also, of course, we had an... I wouldn't call it a competition. I would say that we had a hard work uh, because um, the Western Europe was uh, not in very good shape after the war, of Mm -hmm. course. But uh, we had um, a very optimistic feeling that the war is over and we will build a new Europe. Um, And um, that's it. But the world was much smaller. When we say we, we normally meant either in Finland, we, the Finns, or Nordics, or Europeans. Uh, we, of course, knew also you in USA. But, for instance, the whole issue of the so-called third world developing countries, the North-South division, came s- as uh, as late as when I was already at university. We were, in that time, raising the funds for this kind of the cooperation. And it was something very new. Even, of course, our missionaries have had the work already 100 years ago in a certain sense. So what was it that initially got you interested in politics and policy? I think that the issues. Uh, uh, I come from the family where both my mother and my father were um, activists in, uh, you call it labor unions, we say mm-hmm. trade unions. So they were syndicalists in that way. And they thought that it's not enough that uh, I earn money, but also that uh, those who are working in the same working place will have a better position. And and, uh, in Nordic system, also the unions are quite closely working together with uh, uh, parties, especially with social democratic parties or other left parties. And an idea that, uh, for instance, that uh, the comprehensive education system, what we have now, 
that it would be necessary um, came when I was teenager. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my, my parents said that now, yeah, it should be much better that everybody could have a better possibility for the better higher education. And uh, so we somehow we are surrounded by, by the idea that uh, we have to build the society together. Why it is so? <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps we have this kind of the hard winter every year. We have had for two the centuries. So you have to work hard and you have to look after your fellow citizens. Uh, perhaps it's in that way. It happened without even noticing. At university, I learned that every individual, not only we, but sometimes he or she, is very important. And, and then I became interested in human rights and also sexual and reproductive mm-hmm. health and rights and, and this, and I was a so-called student activist. So were there particular issues that uh, brought you to want to become a professional politician? Um, and are they still the same issues that drive your interest today? So um, to becoming a politician, it, it, it happened by accident, uh, in a way. Uh, I was already a union lawyer. And uh, so um, our prime minister, Kalevi Sosa, wanted to get somebody, a younger person, who could know, who could know the, the uh, youth or movement and, and also perhaps the labor organizations. And then he asked that could, uh, could they find somebody, and this somebody was me. And then I learned to know the uh, parliament, government, and all that. Of course, I have been active with issues. Uh, democratization of the society and so but but I have never thought I, I would I never thought that I would become a politician. So some then my, my, my friend said to me that you could also try to run the elections to the parliament. And I said, Wow, why not? Good 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 issue. I put up about one thousand American dollars the whole campaign. That was that. Okay, it was not enough, <laughs> but but the result was with those uh, financial resources quite a good one. And the next time, after f- four years, when I I continued in the unions, um, it, the elections came in the time when uh, I was uh, pregnant. I I waited for my my daughter, and and then uh, I have my maternity leave, and uh, so my baby was born in November, in the end of November and the elections were in the next March, and then I became a member of parliament, uh, among all other things what young ladies have with their babies. <laughs> and what year was this? Yeah, and so it's, uh, that was, uh, uh, the baby was born in 78, and I became a first time a member of parliament, 79, and so I continued being in the parliament 20 years. My older friends from, uh, from unions, they said that I have had the longest maternity leave they ever have heard. <laughs> <laughs> because I never came back. <laughs> <laughs> so an accidental politician, uh, mm-hmm. yet 20 years later, uh, you found yourself mm-hmm. elected as the first woman to become president of Finland. Uh, what, what, was that, how, what did that mean to you, to be that first? Um, I hope that I don't sound very, very egocentric, <laughs> but I, I was the first uh, female uh, union lawyer also. I was uh, also the first uh, political uh, po- uh, political uh, minister of justice who was a woman, the same with the foreign minister position. So in a way, I have used to live through those years 
when somebody has to be the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we always hope that if you are not, it's, it doesn't mean that if you are the first one, if you are that one who goes through, but you should be the first one in a way that there has to be others to come. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just an exception. And um, then in uh, the mid of 1990s, 1995 to 2000, I, I was a foreign minister of my country. And uh, when it was a question again that it might be time for to get a woman, we didn't say it loudly, mm-hmm. but we thought it could be possible. And when my predecessors uh, denied to continue, so it was a quite big pressure by the rank and file people try. And uh, what if you think that whether I was, I was a competent, so who could be? I, I have been the, during the latest president, I have, I have been the, his advisor in foreign politics. Mm-hmm. I was a foreign minister. And I had also a couple of other ministerial posts behind me. So in that way, I, I was quite self-confident. Uh, the only thing what I was worried that I was too radical and perhaps a little bit that I was a woman. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that uh, you faced unique challenges that uh, your predecessors didn't have to deal with? Yes, yes. But I think that it was exactly wonderful timing. Because already when my predecessor became uh, uh, elected as a president, 10th president of uh, Finland. So in that time, uh, I think that the strongest uh, um, candidate to that was the, who came the second was a lady, mm-hmm. our uh, minister of uh, defense in those days. And so uh, people have already used to that, that they, they might be a woman sometimes uh, in the future one day. And, and in the time when uh, we have a direct uh, direct uh, election of the president, we had several ladies. In the matter of fact, the first round, we have the French system. So with the first round, I think that we had uh, five or six female candidates and a couple of men. And, and then with the second round, which is this uh, final, so uh, we, there was uh, one man and, and one woman. And the man, by the way, has been here at Harvard, our mm-hmm. previous prime minister, Esquaho. So now you have got the both candidates <laughs> from these 2000 presidential elections. And um, so um, uh, I didn't think it too much. But then when I started with the job, I noticed that some of you would call them irrelevant, uh, very, very small things. They seem to be quite... Uh, in funny way, quite difficult. For instance, um, uh, when I paid the first state visit to our neighboring country, Sweden, we were 700 years apart to Sweden. So of course, this is a very important issue for the Finns. Mm-hmm. So the discussion afterwards was not whether I had spoken stupid things or not. No, that was fine. But it was as granted that it's okay. But they they spoke even in the some women's magazines, quite in big letters, that whether my handbag was too small, too big. Handbag. <laughs> then I learned to know that that uh, when the president of Finland is also the supreme chief of the army mm-hmm. and has this kind of duties, there is not the right size for the handbag. Never, <laughs> never carry the handbag. <laughs> uh, so that's it. I I don't know. I think that if you see nowadays. Um, uh, the German uh, uh, Chancellor 
and her maker. So I think that she neither has the handbag. <laughs> uh, it's 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 funny how such kind of the small things, not a portfolio, but the handbag is is irritating people. Do you th- uh, do you think those small things add up to actual difficulty in, in attaining? Yeah, and also the protocol sometimes. So I think mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, this is one of the very small but irritating issues that female politicians uh, they have they have been seen more than heard. That very often even the, those who are everybody knows that they they are professionals. So um, very easily you might get that oh did you notice that her hair or her jacket or her this or that was mm-hmm. different. Uh, very seldom you. You say you you might say that President Obama was a little bit uh, looking tired or so, but but uh, you use totally different words concerning women. Mm-hmm. So I mean that this will go away. These things will go away in a certain way, and I pity to say you men you will be in the same situation more and more because uh, TV is more for to look at and this kind of the radio what we are doing. But I love it. It's it's to be heard, mm-hmm. listened. Right. You mentioned that the value in being the first isn't so much mm-hmm. with being the first, it's being the mm-hmm. first of many. Mm-hmm. Do you feel confident that uh, your legacy will be that that's just part of Finn politics now? Yeah, yes. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, we have had uh, already now, we have had um, certain times when we have had a slight majority of the members of the government who have been women. So men have had already the minority. Mm-hmm. But what I consider we extremely important is not that we could be instead of men, but I think that the human population are about 50% men and 50% women. And so we should use the resources of 100% of this, of the population of this planet in order to, to solve these issues. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, that's, that's the point. Uh, at this historical moment, I think it's especially also uh, important, interesting and important that we will get more and more women everywhere. Also here in USA, because now the women are these untapped resources of the human capital and they might have also very often a little bit different kind of background, different kind of experience base and that can enrich our possibilities to solve issues. Might be in the future that no differences, but uh, but then in the future still, let's not divide people whether they are men or women or left or right-handed. So, I mean, we need the, the whole, whole potential of, of the human capital. So I, I wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about policy. Um, the Nordic countries in general uh, have a unique approach to the welfare state. You could call it the Nordic Welfare Society. Mm. Um, Or welfare state, it depends. Other than the cold weather, do you think there's something shared among (laughs) the different countries um, that leads them to to endorse endorse a heavy welfare state? Uh, I think so that understanding the equality of human beings, it's not only that he or she has a voice in the political campaigns to elect. But I think that also it's it's uh, fair, it's justice for the human being, for this person, it, person, but it's also a very, very smart investment for the society. Mm-hmm. My husband always is joking that the first human right should be that we can choose our parents. But what, when we cannot do that, so the society 
must be friendly and helpful a little bit. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned education in particular. Finland always finds itself near the top of the world rankings on various mm-hmm. measures of educational attainment. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's the difference there? Uh, is it in the water? <laughs> yeah, that would be a good, good solution. I think, and not even the climate, weather. I have been joking to my friends here at Howard. Howard, I have said sometimes that now you see that uh, if you have a hard winter, so you you have to study in order to do something. <laughs> But um, the fact is, I think that um, um, we have a basic confidence or trust in teachers. We we do want to have a good teachers, and we have succeeded. We educate them very well, train them very well. Uh, they have at the university level the uh, degree, and even those who are teachers, so-called teachers, kindergarten teachers, they have also those who are children with before the formal education starts. We start our formal education very late at the age of seven. But we have before that an um, obligation to have a preschool education where we are more studying, uh, learning to know which kind of the child is, whether very simple things that whether she or he can uh, see and, and, and hear in proper way any difficulties for speaking or so, this kind of things. But also very easily when nowadays the families have only few children, normally not too many at the same age, that they learn to live in the groups. Simple things that sometimes you have to give the the first to somebody else the seat or something mm-hmm. else because you know the little princesses and princes we have in the families. Uh, then um, I think our working hours at school are, ma- are rather short and, and we have the long vocations like also our people who have in, in the working life. And, and so... Um, So uh, we enjoy the summer and we enjoy the holidays. But I think that trusting, giving the confidence with teachers so that our teachers, they have, of course, the task what they have to do. Mm-hmm. But in these frames, they can decide uh, quite much. Not alone, because the the education is the duty of the local authorities. The state pays, subsidizes the quite much about an education, especially if the municipality is not rich. Um, they put in certain scales how to do it. But then the local authority can also decide which kind of school they have and so mm-hmm. only that they have to be equal entry and so on. Then the schools themselves, they have a certain kind of autonomy to decide how the every one of these schools will do and they have the board of the um, with the parents and so to decide. But then finally, the teacher is that one who governs the class. Um, and uh, they, are, they are respected very broadly and even they are not so extremely well paid. There's a long queue to the faculties where you, we, we get our teachers. So in that way, common respect, um, if you can say so that charming also the younger ones they want to become teachers it's something fine and and then uh, then also um, there are a lot of challenges of course how to raise the respect in modern society both by children and parents and outside society and so but but um, our teachers seem to be very fascinating on this mm-hmm. and and uh, it's <laughs> one of our export subjects today uh, what we have um, We have given the know-how for several countries, and, 
and also uh, our teachers have been in, in many places, also in quite exotic places like in the uh, Gulf area, so mm -hmm. to tell that how we can give a good education, because the fact that you see very well, for instance, in that area, that you might have money enough, but you have to know also how. Well, uh, Madam President, thank you so much for coming on PolicyCast today. Yeah, thank you very much uh, concerning your interest. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast, produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast. Thank you.